Tonight we're talking about the purpose of creation. Now, I think it's quite bold to even be talking about the purpose of creation. Who are we to talk about why the world exists and the purpose for the world is existing? I mean, maybe it's beyond me to fathom the purpose of my existence. I mean, think about the characters in a video game. Do they understand the purpose of their existence? They're just there to provide entertainment for the person playing the game. Maybe we're God's video game. The reason why I'm approaching this topic tonight is because I'm a creative person, as I think we're all creative people. And the idea of doing whatever just because I'm told to do it doesn't work. The idea of being a worker on a factory floor with no idea or understanding of the end product, it doesn't fit. There's a story told, I believe it's uh, an analogy given by the famous Dubna Magid. He said that there was once a man who used to turn the wheel. He used to turn wheels and he would irrigate fields by turning the wheels of the mill. One day, a king was riding through the lands and he chanced upon this man and he said to him, I really like the way you turn wheels. I'd like you to come to my palace and I want to watch you turn the wheel. So, but what am I going to be turning? Nothing. You'll be turning the wheel. I will give you riches, gold and silver. The man was all excited. For sure, I don't care about what I'm doing. I want the riches. And so the man came to the palace, and all day he was turning the wheel, turning and turning and turning. Until one day, he turns to the king, and he says, I can't do this anymore. I can't spend day after day knowing that there's nothing happening on the other side. I need to be doing something. I feel the same way when it comes to understanding our purpose and my purpose in this world. I feel like it's nice. It's a very nice idea to just go about the day, whatever happens, happens. But it's not good enough. I want to know why I'm here. I want to know what I'm doing here, and why did my soul have to come into this world today, in 21st century, in 2013, why do I have to be here today? There's a lot of people who don't care about this. Remember, I think I've told this story before. I, was, I couldn't have been older than 14. I was sitting on a bus in Chicago, and I was having a very deep conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about the meaning of life, the purpose of creation. And uh, there's an elderly African-American gentleman that's sitting on the other side 
of the, of the aisle. He taps me with his cane. Uh, he says to me, you want to know about life? I tell you about life. You're born. Then you go to school. Why do you go to school so you can go to more school? Why do you go to that school so you can go to high school? Why do you go to high school so you can go to college? Why do you go to college so you can get a job? Why do you get a job so you can get married? Why do you get married so you can have kids? Why do you have kids so they can do the same darn thing over again? <laughs> Life is short. Live it up. And I think that there's a lot of people in the world who are completely satisfied with that answer. Life is short, live it up. Who cares? Why are we even going here? Why are we even touching this idea? Just the notion that there's a purpose creates a lot of assumptions. The first assumption is that there's a God. You can't talk about purpose if you don't talk about God first. If you don't acknowledge the God in the world, you can't say the purpose. There's no God. I'm an atheist. Okay, that's it. Who cares about purpose? This world is, is all, be all. It's the end of humanity. Whatever happens here stays here. It's Vegas. We'll figure it out afterwards. If you don't want to deny God or you want to deny a creator, it's easy to live in this world. And there are people... Many people who live in this world. Now let me... Uh, tread on treacherous waters. The Jewish experience, the Jewish soul, has a very difficult time handling the idea of atheism. Now, most Jews are atheists, but they don't realize how difficult it is to handle that idea. And the reason why that idea is so difficult is because we, by nature, believe. An atheist also believes in God. Because in order to deny God, you have to believe in God. Right? If I... If I want to deny your existence, I have to first say you exist. If I want to deny God's existence, well, if there's no God, there's nothing to deny. Except I see you. You're tangible. You're real. You're physical in this finite world. Who said? I perceive you. Who said? You ever watch a movie? Of course. You ever watch a movie in HD? Yes. Do you know the difference between a regular movie an HD movie? Only when I can see the difference between the lines of resolution on the screen. The difference is pixels. Right. You know what pixels are? Dots. They're little dots. That's right. <laughs> now, these little dots form together to make up a picture. Does the picture really exist? Not at all. The picture is not there. Well, do you story. see it? Perception is reality. Reality is perception. So who, how do you know I exist? I don't, but I perceive you. There are those that would say that the only denial of God is the concept that there might be a God. I mean, I don't, I don't defend atheists. I'm just saying they're, they're, they're disputing or denying the fact. 
for them it's a, a theory, it's not a thing to deny, it's a discussion. I, I hear you. And I like this conversation. I'm actually going to go into this on a scientific level tonight. As part of trying to explore the purpose of creation, we're going to go into science a bit. So I want to hold that question. And if you still have the question at the end of class, we'll go back to it. Why am I here? Musical interlude. Why am I here? Why is the universe here? What's the purpose? Why does this whole mess of universe? We've all had problems in our life. We've all had good days and bad days and ugly days. What is the purpose of everything, of being here, of existing, of us existing on an individual level and us existing on a global level? What does it all mean? Here's the short answer. We'll go into your, into your pages. The universe. The universe doesn't have to be here. There's absolutely no reason that it or you or I or them or anything at all has to be here. The ultimate reality, God, has no need for anything to exist at all. As Maimonides explains at the beginning of his foundations of the Torah, But when God did bring everything into existence, He did it with a desire to be found within His creation. And He invested His entire being into that desire. That desire is the core element of reality. We're going to call it tonight purpose. And it unfolds throughout history. And eventually it blossoms into the open. Now, if you really want to understand what purpose is, our purpose and the purpose of creation, we have to now go into a longer answer. And this is where our class will start tonight. Now, contrary to popular misconception, not all people really care about this question. Not all people are bothered By purpose. And not all people think they have a purpose. The entire idea of purpose in life rides on the assumption of creation. If you don't believe in creation, there should be no purpose for creation. If the world wasn't created, then there's no purpose for the world being created. If we're just a dim puff in the blaze of the Milky Way, as Mark Twain put it, then who cares? Who am I? What do you think? God really knows what I did? <laughs> Come on, really, really? Let's, let's be realistic. All great God needs to care about me little nothing. Back in the paper. Because if the world wasn't created, 
if the world is just here, quote-unquote, then what's the point of asking about purpose? The Buddhists say the following. I don't see any purpose in this whole cosmos. Things are that are just here. Don't need a purpose. Because why should a Buddhist see a purpose in the cosmos? Let it all be. Let it all be. I'm a universalist. That's what a lot of students say today. I'm a universalist. What does that mean? It means I'm a nothing. It means I don't have the, stand, the ability to take a stance. So it's easier just to say, yeah, bow and say, yeah, you're all right. The Torah tells the following. I want to just kind of establish this. The Torah says that the universe was created, that time has a beginning, and if so, the notion of purpose has meaning. Why did things begin? What is the point of there being anything and not just leaving nothing alone? It's very simple. If you're going to create from nothing to something, now that there's something, why couldn't we have nothing? Why wasn't it good enough for God to have angels and to God to have the cosmos and God to have this whole wonderful world where everybody's just bowing down and saying, holy, 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 and flying and, and, and this exciting spiritual bliss? Instead, God chooses... We're saying there's a God because we're talking about purpose. We have to say there's a God. So God chooses to create a being. A being that has the ability to go against God. A being that has the ability to go against the very thing that created it. How? For what? For what? Just think about it in your own mind. Imagine you created something... that can go against you. We'll call it a teenager. <laughs> they're very cute and pretty when they're, uh, when they're two. <clears throat> Saying, what do you know? I'm the oldest of seven, I know. I've been through a lot of teenagers. They're all nice and dandy when they're two. And then all of a sudden, one day, they start talking back. From the moment they start talking, they're talking back. And then, they start developing a little more and more and more, until eventually they're like, bye, see you later. Like, hold on, wait a second. As Bill Cosby says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> like, who, who, who are you? You're a little nobody. You were a dim puff. And now, you're expecting you to be a somebody? No. So, why did God need this whole thing? Why? What, what the mess? It's a big mess. Yes? If you don't challenge, if you don't argue, if you don't fight for knowledge, if you don't... I mean, if you, and the opposite is if you always agree and, and you're non-thinking, you don't learn. The only way to learn and to ultimately have a belief in creation and purpose is to challenge the notion. I think at all points, at some points in our life, we all struggle with that. You're, so you're, you're saying embrace the challenge or 
Forget about the challenge. I'm saying embrace it with all your might. That's the only way to learn and evolve. Well, that's very nice for you to say that in 2013. But let's say you lived in one. It actually might have been easier because that was the, those were the, the days of the visible. No- we'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Miracles on such a grandiose, dare I say, biblical scale. I think it's more difficult today. It's so interesting. I, I, I beg to differ. It's interesting. It's interesting that, that you or I or all of us as created beings appreciate that idea of challenge. Whereas, remember, every other creation in the universe cannot challenge. Right. Angels can't challenge. What if animals can challenge each other? They can't challenge God. But a dog is a dog. They don't have the ability. They don't have that ability of free choice. But, yeah, but they're, they're, they're fighting for the same food. They're going to challenge each other. They're challenging each other, like 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 Craig said. They're challenging each other out of instinct, not because survival of the fittest, not out of the idea of challenge. We're not challenging because we're trying to all fight here for for survival here. We're here challenging intellectually. We're challenging our purpose, God's purpose, the purpose of creation, why we're here. There's no other being on earth that has that ability to have this conversation. And that's powerful. That alone, before we even continue, that's a very powerful idea. I'm going to ask you this question. Let's assume... There's a consciousness behind creation. Consciousness meaning a decisive process. Let's just assume this. Things just don't happen by themselves. So A, therefore B, B, therefore C, etc. They also don't happen by chance. Whatever that means. We're going to say that there's a design behind the cosmos and that Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created. We're going to say that. And it wasn't that it just sort of happened. It was actually in the beginning. And remember, everything we know is confined by time and space. This is going to be the toughest part of tonight's class. I'm going to go into some science here. Now, the, today, in our world, the structure of the universe is open to us like never before in history. There was this, there's a guy, Paul Davies, I was looking him up, 
And he says the following. It's in your, your papers here. He says there's an unbelievable delicacy in the balance between gravity and electromagnetism within a star. Calculations show that changes in the strength of either force by only one part in 104 would spell catastrophe for stars like the sun. The sheer improbability that such fallacious concurrences could be the result of a series of exceptionally lucky accidents has prompted many scientists to agree with Hoyle that the universe is put up is a, is a put-up job. Had the universe been created with slightly different laws, not only would we or anybody else not be here to see it, but it's doubtful there would be any complex structures at all. There's a physicist named Brandon Carter. He says that the speed of light multiplied by Planck's constant and divided by the square of an electron's charge equals 137. And he argues that if this ratio would ever so slightly be more than it is, then all the stars would be blue giants and there'd be no planets at all. Let alone living creatures that were somewhat smaller all stars would be red dwarfs and thus the planets orbiting them far too cold to sustain any kind of organism. The speed of light, it seems, was fixed at the beginning of the sake of the whole, of the whole show. And there's tons of these kind of tidbits. I just pointed on two of them. Where science and religion are meeting to prove that there must have been intelligent design. There must have been a higher being, I don't care what you call it, you can call it God, Allah, Mother Nature, the thing, he who should not be named, I don't, it doesn't matter what you call it. But there's a higher being beyond our consciousness. Now what is our consciousness? Our consciousness is limited. What happened before this morning? Last night, right? Well, let's say what happened before the first day of creation. What happened? Anyone know? Nothing. We can't think of it, and it's beyond our, our, our even ability to explain. What, to what's, what's above the heavens? We don't know even what the heavens are. <laughs> well, what's, what, okay, fine, fine. What's, what's beneath the deepest waters of the ocean? What's beyond Pluto? Why don't we know these things? We're not supposed to. Years and years of advancement of civilization and we can't figure these simple things out? Because it doesn't exist in our realm. It doesn't exist in our finite time and space measurements. I'm going to skip all of that. It doesn't matter. It's not going to make our life any better. Do you agree with me? It could if we found something out in another universe that could benefit Earth. You think so? You think one day some people are going to fly in on a spaceship from Mars and they're going to say we're here and we have all the secrets of the universe? No, but I'm saying there could be a use for something else that's out there for us. It's possible. By the way, just so you know, Earth 
is anything that's limited to time and space. So is Mars Earth? Yes. Yes. According to, there's heaven and earth in the Torah. Earth is not the planet. Earth is confined by time and space. We are confined by time and space. If we moved to a desert island and we took away all our clocks and all of our everything, would we still age? Of course, sure. But there's no clock. There's no measurement of time, but there's still time. Because we are confined to time and space. That is who we are. We are limited beings. And we have to understand that as much as we're limited beings, that is our limitations. We're limited by limitations. That's it. We can't think of something that's beyond our understanding. We cannot think of something that's beyond this world. I mean, it's nice. I've sat on many, 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 many lectures where people tried and they attempted to. But again, they're using words. What are words? Words are limited. We know the power of words. They're just words. They're they're garments. They're just uses of communication in a limited world. We try to communicate with each other. We created a form of speech that will communicate, and that's how we have words. I want to go beyond all this. I want to try to figure out tonight what is the purpose. So, what? So our question is the following. What is the purpose of this design? Let's talk about the big problem. Should be bottom of your first page. The Torah creates the problem of purpose. The Torah creates and makes the problem next to impossible to solve. Why? Because... The Torah claims that God, creator of all this havoc, is perfect. Now, what's perfect? Perfect means not lacking anything, no faults, no needs. Everything is here. Not only everything we can imagine in its ultimate state of perfection, ultimate wisdom, ultimate knowledge, ultimate creativity, ultimate power, ultimate beauty but that which we cannot imagine, since it's not part of our world. Purpose, on the other hand, implies a deficiency, craving compensation, as in, I don't have this, or how do I get it? I lack food, I eat. I lack shelter, I build a house. I lack love, I get into a relationship. Therefore, human relationships, eating and building, all have purpose. God is not hungry. He doesn't have to worry about getting wet in the rain. He can do just fine without getting into relationships because God's perfect. So that's what makes him God. So if God needs nothing, why this world? May I? Please. I have a, whole, I have a real big problem with this whole discussion. Tell me. The simple fact is, how can human vocabulary, human thought process, even dare to assume... No, but how can we apply human descriptive terms 
to the Almighty, to the creator of everything. I mean, here we are talking about, oh, God's perfect, God's not hungry, God doesn't... I mean, we're still talking in, 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 in reference to human existence. It's so wrong. It's so ridiculous. It's so... It's like... Do you think, so you think this whole entire conversation is worthless? No, I'm saying I have a problem with it because no matter how we go around here, we can't compare ourselves to God. We're, we're still using human descriptive terms, applying it to the creator of everything. So let me, so let me, um... I mean, we should talk about our own purpose, perhaps, and not talk about God, but God's not lonely, God's not hungry. I mean, how can we dare say anything about God? Yeah. My question is, God is perfect, how can he make us perfect? I like that. I like it too. Well, I like her. <laughs> you see, that's the issue. The issue is, talking about this, we understand there's an issue here. There's a, there's a primary issue that, that God doesn't need us. Now, if God is perfect, why aren't we perfect? If, if God didn't need us, why did it say in the Torah, like, why he wanted a dwelling place? I mean, it says in the Torah. No, it doesn't. Why? It, it, it says in prayers and in a roundabout way, but I mean, that's what we believe, right? We believe that's what we're going, going to talk about tonight. That's exactly what we're going to talk yeah. about tonight. Yeah. So that's why we need, we need, that's what's needed. We decided I want to introduce you to a topic, to a concept. As we're continuing our concepts in Kabbalah, I want to introduce you to a fundamental Kabbalistic concept. Do you have a question? Yeah. yeah. You said, why didn't God make us perfect? But he gave us maybe the ability to, be, to become better and better. If he made us perfect, then we wouldn't have to work at anything. Would be like God, God could have created a child without having to do a bris. Or, or, on the contrary, God could have kept the angels. Maybe and forget about us altogether, right? Angels are great. They're angels. Maybe we are perfect. Maybe we are perfect. Maybe, Maybe this is perfection. Maybe we're perfectly imperfect. We are. It's a perception of what perfect is, right? Does anyone know what this is? Bad writing? What? It's Chinese. <laughs> He's a new rapper. Huh? What does it mean? It means... <laughs> dwelling place. It literally means a dwelling place in the lower realms. That's the topic we're talking about tonight. God desired a dira. Now, in Hebrew, dira is really home. A home, it's really, literally, a home lower. A lower home. Now, I'm really interested in this terminology here. There's a lot of words, and I don't want to go into Hebrew grammar, but let's just say that there's a lot of words that could have been chosen to say the same exact thing. And none of them had to be home. Home is almost a metaphor. God wanted a home. A home here. Actually, it says God desired a home here. Desire. What is desire? We studied desire before. What is desire? It's an emotional experience. If he's perfect, what is his wife's 
Exactly. Well, desire implies uh, the want for something lacking. Well, something lacking. Lacking anything. You follow this? You follow this? This is, this is getting complicated. God desired a home here. So, I want to go through a couple pieces of Kabbalah. And then we're going to continue the discussion with a little, bit of, a little bit more knowledge than we have now. If we're so imperfect, how do we even know that the, the greatest scholar interpreted it cor- correctly? All this, all this stuff. Like, how do we know that this is correct? Let's debate it. How do, does anyone know anything's correct? What's the theory? Ultimately, it goes back to faith. And, and writings, though. We have writings that back up some of the things we talk about. And people that supposedly were there at the time and all along the So, the, 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 the paragraph in order. That's from the Zohar. This is a direct translation from the Zohar. It says like this. In order that there be creatures that will know him in every measure by which he directs this world with kindness and with judgment according to the acts of humankind. For if his light would not spread to each of his creations, how would he be known? And in what way would be fulfilled that all the earth is filled with his glory? Move on. Rabbi Chaim Vital was the greatest student of the Ari, the master Kabbalist Rabbi Isaac Luria. And he explains this passage. He says, without the act of creation, all of God's infinite perfections lie in a state of potential. Creation is something like the expression of an artist, bringing that potential potential into actual. Certainly, this reason is absolutely true. Since it's part of our Holy Torah, which is all true, but the masters insist that it cannot be the ultimate purpose because it is still places human limitations on an unlimited God. Fast forward a hundred years, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, who's known as the Rashab, continues this teaching, saying, if God is truly perfect in every sense, then he is not lacking even the perfection that comes through actualizing potentials. He is the artist and the art in a perfect whole. He said, for a created being, what is potential and not is, is not what is potential is not actual, but above it's not so. Potential is not lacking actuality. Potential and actual exist as one. So it turns out that God does not even have a need to be an artist. Whatever creative expression could give him, he is already without doing a thing. And in the language of Kabbalah, the infinite has infinite light, which manifests all perfections. So what need is there for a world? It's a great debate. This is probably the greatest debate in all of Kabbalah. Why would God create a world? 
Have I lost you? Sure. I want to go a step further, if it's okay. Before we go to the answer. I would say that would be perfect, but who am When it arose in his will, Rabbi Chaim Vital says, Blessed be his name to create the world in order to do good to his creatures, that they might recognize his greatness and merit to be a vehicle for that which is above to bond with him, blessed be he. God is good, therefore he creates. This is talking... this is, t- this is taking things a little further. Being good is more than self-expression, more than being an artist. Both an artist and a philanthropist give. But while the artist is driven by the urge to actualize their talents, the philanthropist is driven by the needs of others. To the artist, the audience has no intrinsic worth other than being an outlet for his art. The philanthropist, however, is concerned with more than just giving concerned that someone should be receiving. If he's giving food, he's concerned that people should no longer be hungry. If he's providing education, concerned that the students should no longer be ignorant. The recipient's personal world is of prime importance to the philanthropist. This reason avoids the pitfalls of the previous reason. It doesn't help for God to say, if there were created beings... I would be good to them. It has to actually happen. They have to actually be there. They have to actually receive goodness. In Yiddish, when someone says, thank you, there's a saying that I hate. You answer them by saying, nishta kein farvas. There's nothing to think. It's, it's, a, it's a Yiddish thing. It's an old European Yiddish thing. They're like, eh, you know, they're, they, they don't want to, no, no superstition, you know, no evil eye, nothing to think. You just destroyed the thank you. Someone was saying thank you, acknowledging what you've done. And you just went ahead and said, nothing to think. What are you even bothering? Who are you anyway to thank me? Nishta kein farvas, nothing. A giver can't give unless there's someone to receive. Maimonides has this great debate. In his laws of charity, who's more important, the rich person or the poor person? Because if there was no poor person, the rich person wouldn't be rich. So the poor person has to suffer so the rich person could be rich. This is his debate. So who's more important? Equally important. Equally important. Absolutely. But there needs to be both. There needs to be a giver and a receiver. <coughs> this is a basic premise in Kabbalah. The giver and the receiver. The giver and the receiver in every situation. If God is ultimate, if God is great, if God is good, if God we're going to call the giver, there must be a receiver. Can an angel be a receiver? 
No. The angel is an extension of God. Can all the cosmos and all the spiritual realms, realms, can they be receivers? What does it take to be a receiver? Need. 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 I've said this before. If God is only infinite, then God is limited to infinity. God must be finite as well. And once you put the infinite and the finite together, needs arise. Needs arise. Exactly. So now, God desired, God needed a dwelling place in the lower realms. Does it make sense? God all of a sudden needed a receiver. And if you're going to look at the entire world and everything we do in our lives and everything that happens around us, it's all comprised of giving and receiving. Business, relationships, Football. Football. Everything. Everything has a giver and a receiver. Even television. Not anymore, but old analog television had a receiver. Even stereos. Used to call them stereo receivers. So the moment we need, the moment we put a receiver into the world, at the end of the game, the quarterback can say all they want. But if the quarterback threw the ball perfectly and no one was there to catch it, what was the point of that good throw? God is constantly throwing footballs. And God was throwing footballs for a long time before there were footballs. And... God was throwing footballs at the angels. The angels were like, (laughs) (laughs) and they're like, between two, touchdown. (laughs) They didn't know, they didn't know how to take it. One of my favorite episodes in the in the in the Talmud. It's a mix of a Talmud and a Midrash to describe the scene. The scene when Moses went up to heaven to get the Torah. You know about the story? There was, this, there, were, there was an episode. This is right out of a Talmud. I could have thought this one up, believe me. So Moses arrives in heaven. There's no joke. There's no punchline. Moses arrives in heaven. All of a sudden there's pandemonium. There's an earthly being in the heavenly realms. How did he get up there? Who knows? Doesn't say how he got up there, but he arrives there. They find out what is he doing here. Someone says he came to get the Torah. Came to take the Torah from God to bring it to the, to the people down below. Wait a second. Hold on. You're getting the Torah? To bring down below, the Torah belongs to us, the angels say. A fight happens between Moses and the angels. So what, if there's a fight, what do you do? Go to court. So there's a heavenly court. 
there's defending angels, there's prosecuting angels. They all take their stance. Is God the judge? Not yet. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. The basic premise of the angel's argument is first right of refusal. It's in the Torah. If you have a piece of land and you want to sell it, you must ask your neighbor first because the neighbor can make best use of the property before you ask someone else. First right of refusal. We're closer to God, the angels say. If God wants to take the great wisdom of the Torah and bring it down to earth, ask us first. Give us first right of refusal. It goes back and forth, and the debate is much more extensive than that. But that's just the, the premise of the debate. It goes back and forth for quite a while. If you want, I can give you the, uh, the whole transcript from the, from the episode. So finally, God listens. God turns to Moses and says, it's your turn. You answer. The Talmud says Moses takes the Torah in his embrace. And he says, let me look inside. What does the Torah say? Says, Anochi Hashem believe in one God. Angels, how many gods do you believe in? Oh, one God, one God, one God. Holy, 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 holy. Okay, so you got that one down. Oh yeah, it's us. We can do that one. It's perfect. It's made for the angels. They're all excited. Let's go to number two. Have no false gods. No false gods. The angels are shocked. Who would have false gods? What do you mean false gods? There's only one God. False gods. Okay, let's go... Let's go, let's go further down. Don't lie. You're lying? Keep the Sabbath. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. How many fathers and mothers do you have, angels? Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't be jealous. Don't swear in vain. Moses says, oh, angels, angels, this doesn't apply to you. This is not for you. This was created for us. And with that, the angels took two crowns and put it on each side of the Torah. One for Naseh, one for Wudu, while the other one for Nishman will listen and sent it down to us. The angels didn't know what was in it. No, but they knew it was God's deep wisdom. God had deep wisdom. The giver needed a receiver. God needed. Like we understand desire, like we understand need, God needed a home in the lower realms. And God needed teenagers in the home. Yes. God needed created beings that could go completely against Everything that God says. And then when they do the right thing, isn't that the nicest experience ever? Isn't that the, the warmest, incredible experience when they actually do the right thing? That moment doesn't happen long. Very short. But when it happens, it's just so, so magical.
they do all these studies on, on managers. They say that women make better managers than men. The reason why is because men, when they walk into an issue, a conflict, they look for the answer, while women look for the question. Kabbalah talks about the difference between men and women, and that is what it says. The nature of a woman is to ask, well, the nature of a man is to answer. That's the big problem, right? All, all women want to ask, and men want to answer, and they're always answering the women, and the women are always asking the men, and they're confused with each other. They just got to switch the roles. The men's got to start asking, the women got to start answering, and everything will be fine. <laughs> So, we went through the, uh, the Sefirot. I know some of you weren't here. I apologize. But there's only one part. What did we say about the, about the Sefirot? Right, we have three. Let's go, let's, 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 re, let's review this. Three emotional. We have Chachma on the right side, which is what? Inspiration, that, that spark. That, that spark. Right. We have Bina on the left side, which is what? Taking the spark and expanding, expanding it. We have dot in the middle. Anyone who wants this chart, I can give you this chart after class. We have dot that. The application. That is the application, right? So we have conception, conceptualization, and application. Those are the three intellectual sefirot. Those are the three cognitive faculties. Then there is chesed, kindness. kindness. There's gevura. Would you mind? Would you rather me? Would you rather me write this here? Let's just write this in English, for those of you who conception, conceptualization, application. Please. Then there is kindness, severity. We had better words for this. Discipline. Discipline, right? Yes. Okay, then we had Teferet. Compassion. Compassion. Then we had Netzach. Remember what that was? Desire? It was like victory. victory. Netzach. But there's a, I had a better word for it. Hod. Surrender. Splendor, I think, no? Splendor? Surrender, surrender, that's right. Yeah. Surrender. <coughs> uh, splendor and grass. And then Hod with splendor. And then there was Yesod. And then there was uh, Mahot. It's not a class in the Spherot, we'll, we'll talk about the Spherot at a different time. But I just want to, um, I want to just, so what did we say about masculine and feminine? What did we say? We said that the right side was masculine, the left side was feminine, right? That's what we're up to, as far as our concepts and what we know right now. Which means the spark, that's a masculine, that's boom, 
That's about all men are good for. <laughs> Bina. Conceptualization, understanding it, piecing it apart, working it through. That's very female. The two together... The, the two together... create the application. You need a man and woman to create the final product. Kindness. That's very male, by the way. Yes, it is. You know why? Because it has no end. It has no end. It doesn't stop. Kindness is not really kind. Kindness is not kind unless there's severity. Unless you know when to say no, you've never said yes. We spoke about this, remember? If you never say no, you never said yes. Did that answer the question? There's nothing kind in never saying no. You're not doing anyone any favors. Compassion. Compassion. It's a big word. Compassion is a balance of yes and no. That's compassion. The big word. People think compassion. Victory and surrender. Victory. Men often always conquer. Always that need to conquer. For a man to surrender, that's female. The female surrenders. Surrender doesn't mean I, my hands up in the air, I'm going to be a prisoner of war. That's not what surrender is. Surrender is that part of me that just gives in, that right. gives over. You're right. That you're right, exactly. And you're also right. You're saying that men can't surrender? I say men that cannot surrender. It's a female trait for a man to surrender. They have to find the, the feminine within them to surrender. Men need to conquer. It starts off right from the beginning. When God created Adam, God created Adam from dust. Where Eve was created from from Adam. So the lowest a man can go is dirt. dirt. The lowest a woman can go is a man. A man. <laughs> this is just it says it right in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. And that is why a man always has a need to prove himself. There's always that need big house, big car, blue suede shoes. This is who I am. If, I, if you don't... Where a woman... A woman doesn't have that, that, that desire to prove themselves, to say, I made it. It's not a bad thing. It's just not that innate desire. A woman's greatest fear is becoming him. Is giving into him and becoming an appendage of him. That's a woman's greatest fear. Of not having their independence. For years, for years, women had this problem. Society did not allow them to be who they really are. So what happened as a result is the women had to rebel to take back the Eve experience. The Eve experience is that understanding, being 
The companion. What is the companion? The companion doesn't mean that I'm an appendage of the man. It means that I make the man into better than what and who he can be. I bring out the best in him. His desire to be victorious. The woman says to him, surrender. Forget about your stupid ego. Forget about your stupid ego. There's more to life than winning. It's a tough idea because every man wants to win. On my second date with my wife, we went to a little, we went to an arcade place. We're playing air hockey and she creamed me. It was my third date, sorry, it was the third date. After that air hockey, I'm like, she's the one. She destroyed me. That experience of destruction is the most profound, most powerful experience a person can have. Because we, men by nature, must acquire, must conquer. We're all a bunch of Napoleons. He wasn't married. He should have been. Would have done good for him. Only then can you create hot. I don't want to go through all this field. This field are incredible, as you can see, and we can, we, we've spent hours and hours, and we will spend more hours on them. But I want to go into the last one, Malchut. We've never discussed Malchut. What is Malchut? Malchut is the brainstem. Malchut is the connector. Malchut is the way that we connect everything to this world. Which means all of these essentially are superficial. I mean, there's practical application to them, but they're superficial. Malchut is the way that all the Sephirot connect to this world. Malchut is what creates the physical world. It's how God created the physical world, and it's how we create physical things. Malchut is entirely feminine. Men are abstract. Women are concrete. That's why women are better managers. Because they understand what needs to be asked instead of worrying about what has to be answered. Let's have some fun. What's the rough translation in English for Malchut? It means uh, majesty or, or kingship. Kingship or sovereignty. Do I have some fun? Let's have some fun. We're trying to find the purpose of creation. Why are we here? What is life about? And of course, since it's in the lens of Kabbalah, we're trying to understand what our purpose is in a biblical and Kabbalistic sense. 
The term dira is home. What is home? I'll tell you something interesting. The Torah says that there were three unique qualities that the tent, the home of our matriarch Sarah had. The first one is that the divine presence was always there. The second is that the candles, her Shabbat candles burned from one week to the next. And the third was that her bread, the bread, the challah she made on, before Shabbat, stayed fresh until the following Shabbat. Three miracles. The temple in Jerusalem had three miracles. There were many miracles, but there were three primary miracles. Number one, the divine presence was always there. Number two, the menorah was always burning. And number three, the bread on the shulchan, on the showbreads, always stayed fresh from week to week. In our lives, we have three purposes or potentials. The first is actualizing God's purpose of creation, making a dwelling place for God here, bringing God into our life. In our society, we've become so accustomed to God being in church because Christian society puts God in the church. Jews, we don't believe that. The most important Jewish experiences happen around the dining room table. They happen in the dirah, in the home. The Jewish experience is to bring God into the house. That's why we put a mezuzah on the doorpost. The moment we come in, we remember God is here in our home. Number two, our second purpose is to be a light. Our story, our history, our family story is all about light and never letting that light extinguish. Always looking for the light, making sure that the light is close by and being a light unto the nations because darkness is the absence of light. And number three, we have to always stay current, fresh. To always be with it. Be able to take our surroundings and use it for a holy purpose. Not, spirituality is not going on a mountain and meditating and finding spirituality in the middle of Tibet. Spirituality happens right here with a pen and a paper, with food, with drink, in this world, living in this world and elevating this world, making this world a better place, in this world, not outside of this world. Number one, bringing God into this world. Number two, bringing light into our lives. And number three, using this world to make this world a place for God. And that's the purpose of creation. God desired, God wanted, God needed us, us beings that have the ability to deny God's existence. 
We need to be the creatures that accept God like teenagers saying yes. And that's how hard it is for us. That's how hard it is for us. I was talking to someone this morning about doing difficult things. And he said a profound idea. He said, we're talking about diets. He said, you know it's going to have a greater impact if it's a greater challenge. He said, if you take sugars and, and, and gluten and dairy out of your diet, it's going to have a much stronger impact than if you just stop having a candy. The things that we do have a direct impact on the result. That is our choice. Everything that we do has a direct impact on the results of that which is done. You can't expect to win the lottery without playing. You can't expect that something's going to happen if you didn't set the tone, create the vessel for that to happen. Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? If you really, really think about it, deep down, maybe you're not ready for it, or maybe you're, you're, you're not there or you were there. Maybe it's just not that important in your life. Because the things that are important in your life get done. And it's hard to accept that. Because there's some things that we really want. There are some things that we really want and we feel without them we are incomplete and we have not fulfilled our purpose. There are some things that really are so much part of us that we are irritated when they're not done. There are some things that we feel if we don't have them there's something really missing. If a desire is there, it'll happen. If there's a will, way is not far behind. If we really want it, we just look at God. God desired, wanted a receiver. God created this world. Unsure that the creatures that God was creating would accept. Because they have the choice. Think about it. God was not planning on the good and evil thing. It was going to be the Garden of Eden and the thing you don't touch. It was going to be the desert island and the synagogue you never go to. God never implied that Adam and Eve were going to eat that from that tree. It was going to be there because that was the choice. The choice was that there is a tree in the garden you don't touch. And they touched it and opened up this whole world of good and evil. It was always there. But you tell a baby, don't touch. They were babies. Tell an adult. (laughs) 
The purpose of creation, the purpose of creation is to make this world back into paradise. The purpose of our, our personal purpose is to make our worlds back into paradise. How do you create your own paradise? Well, by finding that thing that you need and getting it. The same way God found that thing that he needed to find a receiver. That's how we create paradise. To create the need and then solve the problem. But you got to first ask the question. The female component comes first. You got to first ask the question and then you can answer it. If you want. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.